0: Oh, well, good morning, everybody. How are we all doing? You're allowed to answer. Yeah, there you go. All right, excellent. Got somebody awake here this morning. So, it is good to see everybody here this morning. I I typically am very, very, very excited to come up here and preach. I, I count it a great honor and priv- like privilege to be up here and, and bring God's Word to everybody that but I will say this morning, uh, not that my heart is heavy, but I'm definitely in an uncomfortable realm because what I feel like the Lord has brought to me this morning to, to preach to you guys is, is a little bit more weighty of a message. And so that being said, would you please just bow with me again in prayer before I begin? Oh, dear Heavenly Father, you're you're all-powerful. You're all-knowing. And you're completely faithful. Lord, I I come before you just thanking you so much for the opportunity to preach this morning. Lord, I, I pray that as I bring the truth from your word, or at least what you've taught me, I pray that you would allow our hearts to just hear your word, to hear your truth. Lord, that as we leave today, though, there may be some exhortation that we would feel encouraged that we are all found in you as your children. Lord, we love you, we thank you and lord even this morning i i just want to say i i humbly trust you i trust you to speak through me in your holy precious life-giving name amen oh thanks brandon oh it is already never mind cool auto lock right <laughs> Okay, cool. Great. And that is why we need a team, right? Part of the body there. Okay, so this morning I'm going to be preaching on John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. So I'll give you a second to open there. Um, And as you're turning, we're kind of picking up here directly after the message that Brandon brought last week, right? Where where I'm having a brain fart. Jeez, guys, I'm all frazzled, and I apologize. Where John is talking about God so loved the world and how Brandon just broke that down and exegized that uh, that passage really, really well. Um, so that being said, now now John is continuing to follow the life of Christ as, as we've been doing in this book. You know, the, the focus is obviously Christ. So if you would, just begin with me In verse 22 after this Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing John also was baptizing at Anion near Salim because water was plentiful there and the people were coming to be baptized for John had not yet been put in prison Verse 25, now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. John answered, a person cannot receive one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You, You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ but I have been sent before him the one who has the bride is the bridegroom the friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice therefore this joy of mine is now complete he must increase but I must decrease he who comes from above is above all he who is the he he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way he who comes from heaven is above all he bears witness to things that he has seen and heard yet no one receives his testimony whoever receives his testimony sets seal to this that god is true for he whom god has sent utters the words of god for he gives the spirit without measure The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. So church, as we navigate this passage uh, this morning, there are two main perspectives that are revealed used to emphasize one main point. The two perspectives that are shown in this dialogue are the disciples' jealousy and secondly, John's joy in Christ, the bridegroom from uh, the bridegroom. And from these two perspectives, the one main message revealed and communicated is unification under the headship of Christ, humbly rejoicing at his voice. Now stick with me. I'm going to do a quick exegesis of this passage, which just means pulling out from the passage what it is stating. That's what exegesis means. Um, So I'm going to quickly do that. We'll start out in verses 22 through 24. Here we see that John is really setting the scene. He's giving locations. He's giving positions of people, what they're engaging in. We see that John the Baptist and his disciples are baptizing people, and Christ and his disciples are doing the same. And John even takes the time to say that this is happening on the time in between Christ starting his ministry, when John actually baptized him, and his ministry began, and before John the Baptist is actually imprisoned. So he's actually giving the dialogue in comparison to Mark, where it just says John the Baptist has been imprisoned. So it's giving us that this is the window of time when this is happening. In verses 25 and 26, John's disciples see Jesus and his disciples baptizing. And they observe that all the followers that were initially following John are now going over to Christ and his disciples and getting baptized by by them so let's let's just quickly read those verses again now a discussion arose between some of the some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification and they came to John and said rabbi he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness look he is baptizing and all are going to him now we see this attitude and it's easy to pass judgment but if we're honest at least if i'm honest i can resonate with them on a few different levels one i think truthfully this observation being brought to john is out of concern john the baptist literally his name means john the one who baptizes and we see them coming up going like we're with you, we're for you, and we're, we're noticing that our ministry, our impact from their perspective is dwindling because all these people that were coming to you to be baptized, to be invested in, to be discipled are now heading over to Christ. You were the one that baptized them, don't you remember? And so it's coming from, I think, partially concern I think also from this these verses, we, we see that John and his disciples, or John's disciples are kind of tattling on Jesus. Many of you have siblings? Mom, uh, like Hudson the other day, hey mom, Lily's eating crayons. Okay, so we go over and we check on her, she's actually not eating crayons, she's coloring. But yet Hudson felt the need, because we didn't give Lily permission to to color that, well, I better go tell, just let mom and dad know, being the good older sibling, I'm just gonna protect Sissy and, and make sure that, that all things are taken care of. And that's essentially what John's disciples are doing here. They're, they're coming up to John like, hey, you remember that guy you baptized? Well, he's kind of run off on his own, he's doing his own thing, baptizing people, and people are now going to him. I just want to throw it out there, let you know. Your following is dwindling because of that guy that you just baptized and if we're honest with ourselves we we see that in this attitude there is pride there's disagreement there's disunity and there's jealousy those are attitudes that typically come when we're tattling on another Continuing in verses 27 and 28, we see John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. What's John's first response as he hears this? tattling for lack of a better word this report from his disciples john being a rabbi which means teacher being a man who is discipling these guys gently and by gently i mean he retains every bit of authority but he gains self-control in how and how he rebukes them just like a galloping horse, that horse has all the power, but it's gained the self-control of letting you ride it. That's what gentleness is. John gently rebukes his disciples. And the first thing he does is he calls out his disciples in their improper perspective. He, he calls them out, and the first thing he does in his calling out is saying, that's the guy you yourself bear witness to me that I have told you I am not the Christ I am just his forerunner he understands their concern he understands and sees that they're legitimately trying to look out for him in their own way But then he he corrects their incorrect perspective and he calls them back to the very person of Christ. This is why he was the forerunner. This is why he did the ministry. This is why he did all of this. It was for the person of Jesus Christ. And he takes his disciples and he points their eyes directly to him. In verses 29 and 30, we, we see him, the one who... Has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom stand, who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. Just to give a little context of a traditional Hebrew wedding. They would find a girl, be interested in a girl, get permission, and become betrothed engaged and at that point the man would leave and it would typically take between nine months and a year for him to build an abode build a home for his bride during that time he would have no communication and no engagement with his wife to keep them pure Then after that time, he would go and he'd go to his fa- or the, the bride's father and he'd, he'd say, I've got it ready. You want to come check it out. And the father would come and he would look at the home and he'd either pass or fail it. This is good enough or this is not good enough. If the home was good enough, the groom had the joy of calling for his bride. And he would walk back into that environment in in essentially victory, going, I'm here. I'm here to take you home. I'm here to wed you. And so we see John saying, look, I'm the bridegroom's friend, I'm his forerunner. I hear his voice finally. It's been a long time coming that I've been helping, helping essentially the family, the bride, prepare for him to come. I've been here helping the family, taking care of the family, doing the things for the family while he was away. But now he's returned and he's calling for his bride. That's contextually, that's historically, that's culturally what John is saying right here. I'm just a bridegroom's friend. That's the bridegroom, guys. Me hearing his voice, my job's done. My joy is complete. And now is the time that I must decrease and he must increase because this event is about him. He's using that analogy saying, just like a wedding and the bridegroom and the bridegroom's friend, Just in that exact same way, it is now Christ's ministry. So my ministry must decrease for the very purpose of Christ and his ministry to continue increasing. Because this is about him. It always has been. And that's what I've been telling you guys. Then we go into the latter part of of this section of Scripture. He says, he who comes from above is above all. He who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. But he who comes from heaven is above all. He bears witness to what he has seen and heard. Yet no one receives his testimony. Whoever receives his testimony sets his seal to this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God. For he who gives the spirit without measure or for he gives the spirit without measure. For the Father loves the Son and gives all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. In this section of Scripture, we see that, that John is proclaiming the pr- supremacy, the authority of Christ's ministry. We see him say he he is above all. I've been speaking from earth in an earthly way. But he comes from heaven, speaking the words of heaven for the very purpose of bringing us into heaven. He uses strong language, yet no one receives his testimony. He's not saying no one believes. What he's saying is the general recognition of man does not recognize the son. Just like a sheep won't respond to the voice of a shepherd if it's not their shepherd. That's what John's saying here. If they hear the voice of the father, they will hear the voice of the son. You have to understand even contextually right during this time when this was being, or not, the book of John, but what, the, like the dialogue of this exact time, the Holy Spirit had not come yet because Christ had not died. So there were people who heard the Father and believed in the Father. Hebrews 11 is a great example of that. Their faith, their faith was accredited to them as righteousness. And so we see here that there are god-fearing people and the god-fearing people the one who are seeking to obey and love the father recognize the son these are the same things that the father proclaims that means that this guy's true that means I can I can follow this guy And then we see John in the chapter, or in this section of verses, he said, The Father loves the Son and gives all things into his hand. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life, and whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. John very intentionally states this. He doesn't say there's people halfway there. There's people that are kind of in the group, but kind of not. He says there's two groups, born and reborn, Adam and Christ. These are your two camps. If you, hear the son, if you hear the Son and respond to his voice, you are in the family. If you do not, the wrath of God remains on you. These are the two camps that you are in. So that is my quick exegesis of John chapter 3, verses 22 through 36. As we read this conversation, as we read this dialogue of of John about, about John's disciples and, and Jesus and and all of that, I, I recognize two main things. John's joy in the person of Christ and the disciples' jealousy. We see them, I wanna I want start with the disciples, we see them respond in an attitude of disagreement. We see them respond in an attitude of disunity, one rooted in pride and jealousy, and from this dialogue we instantly see John the Baptist point them to the person of Christ, calling them to unity under the headship of the person of Christ. This morning this is what the Lord has laid my heart on. This is what the Lord has taught me from this passage of Scripture. I want you all to know that I'm staying as true and as faithful to the text as I possibly can. I'm not saying I have arrived. I'm not even saying that my exegesis is perfect. But this is what the Lord taught me in this passage and this is what I feel our church needs to hear. I pray and I've been praying that as I bring you this message this morning that the Lord would give me clarity in what needs to be said and that he would give me boldness in how I say things. But I've also been praying because I know I am not the best communicator that to us as a body that you guys would have grace for me because I am only a man. Have grace for me as I make mistakes or don't hash something out 100% perfect. And I also need to, to state this. I am not preaching this message from a, from a pedestal, from a place of success. As I studied for this message, church, it was just as relevant to my life as it is to all of ours. And truthfully, every message I preach, that's how I feel. But I need to state that so that you guys hear that I'm not coming in a condemning manner. This message, I hope your hearts hear, is one of encouragement. Though, yes, exhorting that you hear the truth of God's word in it. That we see the person of Christ and that we are appointed to him. The reason I want to, the reason I state all that is because as I've been in the elder candidacy process, you know, I've been getting discipled by JT and by Brandon, and in that process, there's been more responsibility that has been slowly put on me. And as that responsibility grows, people also see me functioning in that role. And so people come up and talk to me. And in these conversations, church, most of them are fruitful and life-giving, and I love them. But there have been conversations, church, that have an attitude of disagreement, have an attitude that would rather talk about the differences and focus on the differences than function under unity of the headship of Christ. And that's why we're talking about this this morning. I also don't want you to hear that I think that we are functioning as an ununified church. I don't even think we're close to that. What I am saying is that without, with this attitude of disagreement that I've heard, If it goes unchecked it will lead us to functioning in an ununified manner it will cause to segregation it will lead to bitterness and jealousy and it will give our adversary a foothold to move in and to divide and destroy and church I don't want that to happen I am not comfortable calling all of us out, but it needs to be done. So I want to ask you guys a question. Have you guys ever engaged in a debate? Have you ever had an argument? Or simply have you ever ever had an opinion about something? Now all of you should be nodding yes, because that last one is extremely broad. Now more specifically, have you ever had an opinion about theology? Have you ever had an opinion about how to interpret scripture and apply it to your life? I have. I've had a lot of them. Typically, these conversations amp me up. They get me so excited. I enjoy them thoroughly. But every once in a while, someone who feels just as convicted and just as studied as I feel I am, has a completely different opinion. And if you guys have ever engaged in any way, shape, or form in any type of disagreement, whether even just in your marriage or with a friend, you understand that the natural tendency when someone has an opposing and differing view, what is our natural tendency? We want to defend. We want to prove our perspective right. Typically, our hearts don't go, yeah, I would love to hear and investigate your entire perspective for the very purpose of understanding where you're coming from. And I can say that because I know I've had disagreements with my wife. When she disagrees with me, I don't go, hey, could you just fully explain every little bit of what you're thinking so that I can understand you fully? That's not what I do. Pathetically, I feel like being the dad and saying, go to your room, <laughs> don't, don't disagree with me. The reason I feel that way is because I am a type one personality. It's an Enneagram thing. You don't have to be into personality tests. I'm not really into them. And the reason I'm telling you this is to give you a little bit more of who I am so that you guys can know and understand me a little bit better. A type one personality is titled as the moral perfectionist. Now that already sounds snobby the really hard part about this personality, it has some great things, but the the hard part about this personality, the main fault of this personality type is that I 100% every time always think I'm right. You can disagree with me, but it just thinks that you're wrong. That is my person, that is my fault. That is how I navigate most situations. And so if you disagree with me, I will repeat myself 1,000 times until you understand that you are wrong. And I'm not saying that in a sense of pride. It is something that I deeply have to work on. And by God's grace, he is growing me in it. But that is me as a person. And so when it comes to something that is theological, something that I prize, I love God's Word. I hate reading. I'm dyslexic. This is the one book I will read and actually enjoy. This is the one thing I actually enjoy talking about. Brandon and JT have actually called me out on it. Tony, you have to get better at small talk. Because I walk up to someone and I'm like, what's God teaching you? Sorry, what's your name? Oh, I'm Tony. But anyways, what, God's, what, what is God teaching you in your life? That's all I want to talk about. That's all I care about. Well, very seldom has a relationship bloomed from that type of conversation. But when it comes to theology, when it comes to interpreting God's Word and applying it to my life... This is what I hold important, and this is what I engage my life in. I'm going to use Brandon and me as an example, and don't worry, I asked. Brandon is a Calvinist. I am not. Now, believe it or not, there's a lot of opposing views in how we understand or interpret Scripture. Brandon is an incredibly learned man. He is a student of the Bible. Brandon is incredibly disciplined. Brandon has an extremely high regard for worshiping Christ appropriately and for appropriately navigating his word and applying it to his life. Brandon is a man of zeal, and if you guys don't know this about him, get to know him. I'm saying all of that because in relationship, I would say that those are the same things I pursue, and yet we had differing perspectives. But in my immaturity church, I got tired of the conversations always ending with us disagreeing strongly. I started assuming that he was tired of engaging with me in scripture. That he was feeling the same as I was. And we let our discipleship dwindle. Both assuming or reading a situation or misunderstanding what one said and allowing that to become something that I wouldn't say we were ever spiteful towards one another or disregarding one another, but it became more laborsome to engage in conversation because there were things unsaid, there were things unchecked, and there were things unclarified. And I allowed it to sit in my heart and to not seek reconciliation, to not assume the best in Brandon. Now, church, I'm telling you that because the situation that I find myself in is a lot of the same situations that I heard said to me. Now that, that situation with Brandon and I was almost two years ago. By God's grace and by the instruction of his word and applying it appropriately to my life and Brandon to his, we sought reconciliation. Now guess what, Brandon and I still don't see everything eye to eye. But that's okay. Because him and I are pursuing the exact same thing. And that is the glorification of Christ and the advancement of his gospel. And we take our time and we study the word and we engage in it. And honestly, since JT's been gone, it's been a beautiful thing for Brandon and I. Because now it's him and I sitting at an elder meeting, and guess what? We still don't fully agree on every little thing or every little decision. But the beautiful part is that now we recognize one another. This could sound alarming, but don't be encouraged by a church because now we are able to look at one another sitting across the table, studying God's word together and going, okay, I didn't see that perspective that's encouraging to me or exhorting to me or, or okay, that, that highlights a weakness or that highlights a strength and we're able to recognize those things in one another and we leave now feeling just entirely encouraged by one another and entirely encouraged that we are the way we are, that we trust Christ in one another, that Christ has Brandon exactly where he is and he trusts that Christ has me exactly where I am for the very purpose of functioning as a body because church I'm gonna say this and I need you to hear it we are all a part of the same body but we are not a part or the same part of the of the body I'm gonna say that again without jacking it up we are all a part of the same body but we are not all the same part of the body Brandon reaches people that I have a hard time dealing with just because of personality differences. And guess what? I reach people that Brandon can. I used to work in the oil field. You know how many times I got judged by, by believers saying, oh, you're just in it for the money. Actually, no, I wasn't. I actually had a fruitful ministry where I was able to live the life of Christ to these men who would never ever see it. We are all a part of the body and we must function in a unified manner under the headship of christ and as we engage with one another even in our differences or even in the sa- the ways that we are the same it's not that if we're the same that those people are better we're more drawn to them don't get me wrong But just because they're they're the same as you doesn't mean that they're always healthy for you. Or that we should stop pursuing the people that were different. We must engage with those who are different because they sharpen us. You know how many times I've been sharpened by that man sitting right there? In the way that he engages with scripture or the zeal that he holds to it? You You know how many times that man's been encouraged by me to be more gentle and loving and kind? Not that I am more loving and kind and gentle than he is, but I've had to encourage him. Church, I love you. That comes off and out of JT's and i mouse, or previously, it used to come out of our mouth more often. Brandon has the same amount of love and zeal and, and care for this church that he desires to see it grow and see it flourish. It's just he doesn't say it. He just assumes that you know it. But he's been encouraged by that, going, yeah, you're right, Tony. I'll say that. I'll let people know that I love them because I do. Brandon and I already have it hard. We've got eyebrows that make people think we've killed people. (laughs) It's not great. Him and I have to work extra hard, taping the eyebrows up and saying, hi, how are you? I love you. And even then people feel awkward about it, you know? So our natural tendency is to just stand in the corner and say, if somebody wants to talk to me, they will. But as leaders of a church, we, we have to we have to step out. It's not comfortable for either of us to go up to somebody we don't know and say, hey, I just wanted to meet you. I know this is awkward because I'm terrible at it. You guys have heard me say the welcome. It's not a smooth thing. But it's something that we have to do for the very purpose of unifying the body of Christ or functioning in unity under the body of Christ. We see, or it, it, it can be discouraging to hear that I'm calling everybody out to function in unity because I've heard an attitude of disagreement start forming and, and it's something that is coming up more and more in conversations. But guess what, church, is nothing new. We see Paul confront the church of Corinth and if you could actually get that up on the screen, 1 Corinthians 3, 4 through 11. For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not being merely human? What then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants of whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters, what does that say? Are one. And each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field and God's building. According to the grace of God, given to me like a skilled or master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each take care of how he builds upon it, for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. Church, what then is Paul? What then is Apollos? What then is Peter? What then is Brandon? what then is jt what then is tony politics mask mandates these are all things that slowly if going unchecked we can find ourselves segregating or putting ourselves in camps are we not being merely human our church or church our perspective needs to shift it is not about these things What is it about? It's about one thing. Oh, that's fine. It's about the person of Jesus Christ. That's the foundation that we must be building upon. That is the foundation that we are pointing everything to. That is the person that we are pointing everything to. It's not about where we stand or where we fall. And I'm not, please hear me, I am not saying that it doesn't matter if we're engaging our minds in Scripture or engaging in theological discussions. Those things are important, and they're important because they sharpen us. The Lord uses those times to mold us more into His image. What I am saying is to draw a dividing line between that. If you know that you and another person are pursuing Christ, and you trust that he's pursuing Christ or she's pursuing Christ and you're dividing because you don't agree on something or an interpretation of something, that is not okay. That is functioning in disunity. If you're saying, I I don't want to have theological discussions with you because we're different, we need to grow from that, church. We need to mature from that. Because the process of being different Not only will it sharpen you and challenge you, but it's going to sharpen them and challenge them. And as a body, we need to function in unity under what? Under the headship of the person of Jesus Christ. Church, we need to strive for this attitude of reconciliation. Reconciliation does not mean that everything matches perfectly. Reconciliation means communing in a friendly manner. That's literally what the definition is. As you're engaging in in friendship, in life, in relationship, whether it be with your family, whether it be with friends, whether it be with people that you just met, assume the best in them. That was part of the problem with Brandon and I. I assumed that he was ticked off at me because I wasn't theologically the same, that I didn't hold the same convictions. And I allowed that to get into my heart and and cause me to just subconsciously avoid, to take a wide turn. And I got called out on that he said, you need to go and check. You need, you need to pursue reconciliation for the very purpose of functioning as a unified brother in Christ, because you guys are part of the same body. Turns out, when we sat down and had that conversation, when I saw him out, we sat down and we talked. And I told him how I perceived things. And he said, wow, I never even intended or saw it that way at all. And he said some things to me, and I said, Psh, never did I ever mean that. I'm, and then we both apologize to one another. We still have our differences, and that's okay, but we're still pursuing the same thing, and that is the glorification of the person of Christ and the advancement of his gospel. And I can function with Brandon, and I can walk with joy and be encouraged and sharpened by him as I'm walking, though I don't see everything perfectly eye to eye. I am still unified with Brandon because I am a part of the same body as Brandon. Just as we are all a part of the same body. We see Paul again. I'm I'm using this, this scripture as really just uh, examples, because there are examples that still happen in our churches today. So if you could put Romans 14, 1 through 9 up there. No? Okay. Never mind. Romans 14, 1 through 9. I'm just going to go ahead and start reading it. As for one who is weak in faith, welcome him. Do not quarrel over opinions. One person believes that he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let the one who eats, uh, let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats. For God has welcome, welcomed him. Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? It is before his his own master that he stands or falls and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day better than another, while another esteems all days alike. Each one of you should be fully convinced in your own mind there's the pursuit of knowing what you believe. Why I say it's important to study the word and be convicted on what you know or what you understand. The one who observes one day observes in honor of the Lord, and the one who eats eats in honor of the Lord since he gives thanks to God while the one who abstains abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God for none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself for if we live we live for the Lord and if we die we die to the Lord so then whether you live or die we are the Lord's for it is to this end Christ died and lived again that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. Church, what John in John chapter 3 and Paul in 1 Corinthians and Romans are calling us to is unity and fellowship under the headship of Christ. And I know I am pounding that point home, but church, we need to hear it. It is okay for us to disagree. It is not okay for us to disagree and and then segregate from it. That is not functioning in truth and that is not walking in obedience to Scripture. We need to walk in a manner with our brothers and sisters with an attitude of reconciliation, with an attitude of trusting Christ in them, that they are serving Christ, that he is Lord of their life and granted, we recognize these things by the fruits of their life, right? I'm not saying every Joe Smol when you walk out the road, that hey, just got to trust Christ in him. Like, no, that's not, that's not what, at all what I'm saying. What I am saying is that as a body, as fresh water, we know that we are pursuing Christ. And we must live in a way and, and walk in reconciliation with one another because in that, not only will we be sharpened and not only will we grow and mature but also Christ will be glorified. And guess what? The world looking on, if we do have a visitor that comes in and does not know the Lord, I'm gonna read it, John thirteen thirty four through 35. A new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. Now, that's a tall order. Thankfully, we have the Holy Spirit in us. Because I know I'm incapable of that love. Just like Brandon preached last week, God is love. It's who he is. It is his character. It is his being. And we have that God in us. Walking in dependence and submission to his authority, we need to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Now, church, again, an attitude of disagreement. That is okay to disagree. Or not an attitude of disagreement, but if you have a disagreement, that's okay. But if you're walking in a manner that that disagreement leads to an attitude of disagreement, segregation, jealousy, pride, disunity, gossip, any of those things, you need to check yourself. You need to go and you need to pursue reconciliation with those people. Because that's falling under the headship and the authority of Christ. That is functioning as a unified body. That is walking in obedience to what he calls us to. Because what? We are all a part of the same body. Though we are not all the same part of the body. If God wanted us to be cookie-cutter Christians, he would have told us what the cookie cutout looked like. Instead, he picked us. He picked people that are different. Victory Mission guys, I get, I get to disciple some of them. Guess what? Those guys are reaching a demographic that I could never touch. Because the way I talk, even just talking, I sound like I'm condemning. Though I know that I'm just as depraved as any guy that is going through victory mission, I know I struggle with the same issues of the flesh and all of that, because they've walked through that part of their life and the graciousness of God and the mercy of God has brought them to be reconciled not only to Him, but also to be able to like walk in freedom from their past, from their addictions from their failures now they're able to go up to someone and be like i know exactly what you are going through they understand they can engage in a way that they that i can brandon i'll use him again since i asked permission from him this guy Knows the Bible like the back of his hand. Like I said earlier, he's a student of the word. Guess what, the type of people that he gets to reach are people who think they know it all. He can go in and he can say, hey, I'm glad that you're there, but check this out. As I've been studying the Word of God, boom, 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 boom. Well, I don't agree with that. Well, yeah, that's cool, but this is what the Greek says. What's your your argument with that one? Well, I don't have much of one. Okay, cool. So let's submit and let's walk obediently to what the Word says. Every one of us in this room is able to engage with people in a different way. And that's why the Lord has formed us as his body, that we get to function in different parts. Tori, she took care of Jessica's son yesterday, all day. Now guess what? My wife can do that. She's got the personality to be able to handle it. Little Weston threw up one time that I saw, and I about lost it. Because guess what? I'm not that person. I can't love someone well in that way. I want to be able to, but if I see little spit up man, <laughs> freaking done. I am in the bathroom and the baby is still outside with spit up all over it and I am <laughs> doing my own thing. So like, I hope, you, I hope you don't only feel the exhortation to walk in unity, but I hope that you feel the encouragement to pursue reconciliation with one another I hope you feel the relief that we are all different and we all have our differences. I hope you hear the exhortation to pursue Christ and to pursue knowledge of him and as the Lord reveals himself to you through his word that you would walk obediently to what he is instructing you. Church, we have a beautiful thing that we all get to fall under the headship of Christ. And that's why in verse 36, I think John ends it the way he does. He gives us two options. Either you hear the voice of the Son, or you don't. If you don't, the wrath of God remains on you. It's not, all, it's not about all the little segregations we find ourselves in or dealing with, or even making up because of our, our own understandings of things. We are either in the body of Christ or we are out of the body of Christ. And that is how God relates to us. You're either born or you are reborn. If you've been reborn, function as a body under the headship of Christ. And remember that as you're functioning as a body, to have grace for one another. To walk with one another in unity, to seek reconciliation with one another. for the very purpose of walking obediently and faithfully to God. But secondly, for the love of your brother. And then third, love one another. Why? Because that is how people will know that you are my disciple. So that they will hear my voice. Church, I hope that today, I've prayed that today, even as you engage with your life groups or engage with your friends at lunch or go home by yourself, I pray that these words this morning resonate with you. I pray that you would look through your life and look at the areas that you need to reconcile. I pray that you would submit yourself to the authority of Christ to walk in unity with your fellow brothers and sisters. I pray that we would obediently walk as a body so that as we do engage with the world, that they see that we are his disciples in the way that we love one another, in the way that we interact with one another. Church, I love you. If you don't know Christ, church, or not church, but if you don't know Christ, this is the beauty of the gospel. That Christ came, that he died, and that he rose again. And upon his resurrection, he created a way for man to be reconciled to him. I pray that that even these words, though it was directed towards the church, the body of Christ, I pray that you would hear it and see the hope, the life, and the freedom that comes in the person of Christ, but also the encouragement that comes from being a part of the body. We've all had hurts. We've all had pain. But Christ is the one that unifies Let's walk in that truth today, church. That's all I have for this morning, so I'm going to go ahead and pray. If you need prayer after, the worship band is going to come up. I'll be standing over there with Jeff and possibly my wife. Um, But yeah, just go ahead and we'll just lift up the rest of our week to the Lord. Dear Heavenly Father, I come before you just thanking you Thanking you for who you are, Lord. I thank you for your Word and the truth that it teaches us. Lord, I pray that as your body, as your bride, both of which you are the head of, that we would submit to your authority. That we'd walk obediently as you reveal your truth to us. Lord, I pray that as a church, we would be unified, not that we would all be the same but that we would walk in unity with one another, that we would all have the same goal of proclaiming and glorifying the name of Christ for the purpose of furthering your gospel so that more may know the goodness of the person of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for this morning. Keep us humble, Lord. Keep us teachable. Thank you. Lord, we trust you. We love you. In your holy, precious, life-giving name. Amen.